Well, happy Father's Day. Wow, that was really lame. It's probably a lot more enthusiastic online where they're at the lake with their dads. No, it's, uh, it's a great day, and, and for a lot of people, Father's Day is sort of a mixed bag, right? There are fathers here who are concerned about their sons. There are sons here who are concerned about their fathers, daughters who face the reality that their fathers aren't around anymore. It's, uh, it's a day for the most part where we celebrate the, the bond between fathers and their children, but uh, we also know that it's a day that has uh, a lot of difficulty. Uh, also, national holiday, Juneteenth, where we celebrate the fact that in Texas we don't get the news before anybody else does. Uh, apparently, the holiday is somewhat wrapped around the fact that in South Texas they didn't get the news that the Civil War was over, and uh, it took them a while to get it down there. But uh, it's a day where we have a lot going on, but we also have the story of Jonah. Now, I learned something last week. I learned that uh, Alan Tolliver is apparently a convicted criminal in the uh, Dunwoody police system. For you who don't, weren't here last week, he showed a, a police video that showed him clearly breaking the law. We missed that on his background check, um, but we're glad to know about that. We're taking whatever remedial uh, measures that we need to take to make sure that, that Alan is on the road to redemption. So, uh, Judy and I were uh, in Colorado. <laughs> Alan's in the back. So, uh, well, you know, we're, we'll, we'll work that out in the employee handbook. Uh, Judy and I were uh, in Colorado last week uh, doing a wedding for a, a, a son of a church member. It's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Uh, but we took one for the team and went out there where it was much cooler than it is here. So we're caught up, and in our study in Jonah, this week we come to the prophet who preached the best, worst sermon ever. Only eight words, but uh, I, I need to catch you up a little bit. If if you haven't been here for our study in Jonah, a minor prophet, not minor because it's not important, minor because it's shorter. Uh, I think next year I may tackle one of the major prophets, uh, perhaps Isaiah. We'll see how that goes. But Jonah's story, some think it's just a fable. It's just a story that has some great life lessons in it, and so God snuck it in the Bible. The problem is that there's a whole lot of breadcrumbs in there that tell us that it's a, a real story. There are real people, real events, real places. As a matter of fact, in, in Nineveh, where a lot of the story takes place, there is a, a tomb or, a, or at least a shrine that is said to be the shrine of Jonah. Um, uh, tragically, ISIS tried to destroy all of those historical archaeological places, but it's, it's still there in Nineveh. Today we call the, the city Mosul, and it's, uh, it's still there, still, still real, still historic. But there are some things that are a little difficult to believe in Jonah. The idea that God talks to Jonah 
the idea that Jonah is swallowed by a fish or a whale and spent three days in there. The idea to me is the most scandalous, miraculous of all is that an entire city repented of evil in one day and and as many as a hundred thousand people turned their attention to the Lord. That, That to me is the biggest miracle in the story. I mean, I love the miracle of the whale. That's just entertaining. And I, I love the, 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 the idea that God would talk to man. That's encouraging. But the idea that a hundred and some thousand people would say, I want to get right with God, that's pretty amazing. And so today I want to talk about the best, worst sermon ever. And this is where I want to go. God is a God of second chances. That's what today is all about. So if you're prone to doze off, get that part. God is a God of second chances. Say that with me before you nap. God is a God of second chances. I heard you online. Thank you for that. So today, He is sovereign. He is patient. His character is revealed in this fun story that could be a children's story. In the first chapter, just in case you you missed episode one, Jonah is a prophet. He is in a place that we would call Samaria. If you look in your Bible, it's in uh, north of, of Jerusalem, north of what was called eventually the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. Samaria was its capital. That's kind of where he hung out, probably in the palace. So God sent him a message, said, I want you to go to this people group, they, the Assyrians, this, this incredibly cruel, incredibly nasty group of people who pretty much want to not just kill people, but kill people in spectacular ways that cause a lot of pain on the road to bleeding out. Oh, you want me to go there? Yeah. Okay. So the Scripture lays it out. God said, go there, and Jonah went there. God said to go over land. Jonah went over sea. God said to go to the Ninevites. He headed for Spain. God said to go. And it it was, as one person described discipleship, a long obedience in the same direction. Jonah was a long disobedience in the opposite direction. And so we pick up in chapter 2. Where in the end of chapter 1, Jonah's disobedience had led to God saying, I'm going to cause a little bit of a storm, check that, a hurricane, and it's going to cause experienced Phoenician sailors to fear for their lives to the point where they throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a fish. He spends three days in the belly of the fish. In chapter 2, Alan preached on that last week. We had his prayer of repentance, sort of. Now, you read the prayer and you go, I'm sure he was sorry. But as Alan pointed out, there's two kinds of sorry. There's, I'm sorry for my circumstances. And certainly being acid washed in the stomach of a whale would fit the bill. I'm in this circumstance. I'm in jail. I'm in a bad place in my work. I'm in a bad place in my family. I'm in a bad circumstance. I don't like my neighbors. They don't like me. I'm underwater on my car payment. There's all kinds of things where we might say we are in a circumstance that we would love to pray to get out of. 
the belly of the whale, the belly of the fish. A lot of, a lot of us have been there, but you remember God is a God of second chances. And, and so at the very end of chapter 2, after we have this elaborate prayer that's sort of repentance, and maybe it's God get me out of this, and, and maybe it's God I really want to be in touch with you again. We, we don't know and we don't need to know because we're all there, right? We, we pray hybrid prayers all the time that are a combination of God get me out of this unpleasant circumstance, and God, I, uh, by the way, I really want to touch base with you once again. We're, we're all there. Well, one, one part of this sermon series is the Jonah in all of us. So at the very end of chapter 2, it turns out that the fish, Brent, I need to use the right word, vomit, puke, hurl, thumb, okay, he, the, the, the fish puked Jonah, and, 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 and we have every thought that he puked him right there on the beach along the Mediterranean Sea. There's nothing in this that says he projectile vomited him all the way to Nineveh, which was 600-something miles away. That would be nasty, and maybe as big a miracle as the fish, maybe, I don't know, but Jonah still has a journey to do. Now, stare at this for a second because I wanted to know how long the journey was. So I got my trusty computer and I asked Google the question, how far from Joppa to Nineveh? Seems like a reasonable question. How far is it from Joppa or Jaffa, as it's called today, just south of Tel Aviv, on the Mediterranean coast, all the way up through Samaria, through Israel, through Lebanon, through Syria, across through, uh, south uh, uh, along the, the, the Euphrates River, and, and, and now to the place of Mosul. How far is that? So I just entered it in, and suddenly I learned that it's only 350 miles. And I went, well, that's closer than I thought. In the north direction, 422 miles by car, following the I-65 north route. Who knew? <laughs> Joppa and Nineveh are six hours and 52 minutes apart if you drive nonstop. This is the fastest route from Joppa, Alabama to, Gen really, Nineveh, Indiana? Who names their towns that? So I tried again. And I learned that it's actually about 14 hours by car today using relatively modern roads or about 600 miles over the land route, which incidentally, if you're sort of a Bible geek, way back when Abraham was told to go to a land that I will show you, he was pretty close to Nineveh, and he went overland and down into Palestine, and Jonah was told to go pretty much the same route, but in the opposite direction. It would have taken him about a month, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, to my sanctified imagination, there's nothing in me that thinks that he went straight from the beach to uh, Nineveh because he would have had to go pretty much straight past his house to get there. 
And so my thinking is that he probably stopped in, in Samaria where he was from and he, he got a change of clothes, perhaps some uh, royal attire and, and maybe provision the trip, maybe some camels and, and whatnot. And so he began the procession or the, the, the journey and he had about a month to think about his eight-word sermon. It's a long time to prepare. And so by the time he got to Nineveh, he was ready. But I get a little bit ahead of myself. The very first verse of chapter 3 in Jonah is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. God called Jonah a second time. It's easy to sort of gloss over that verse because we want to get to the story. What happened in Nineveh? What was the eight-word sermon? What's going to happen next? What, what's on the, on the horizon? But don't, don't, don't go too fast over that. He said he is a God of second chances. But God said a second time. Something cool happened in here. The mission is going to go on regardless of the messenger. We just sent this morning a team of middle schoolers to Jacksonville, Florida on a mission trip, which will be the first mission trip for some of them. Yesterday, a group of high school students left our campus to go minister in Guatemala, many of them for the first time. We've, we've kind of had to put a hold on a lot of our mission trips as we continue to come away from the pandemic. But what those middle schoolers heard me say this morning at 8.30, they were in the early service, is that you said yes to this, but you didn't have to. And, and you would be tempted to say, like we preachers say all the time, God, you are so lucky to have me up here. God, you, you, I, I said yes. I said yes to you, God, and, and, and aren't you lucky that I am here on Sunday mornings and I am open in the Scripture? And, and to Jonah, he said without saying, well, yeah, I gave you a second chance, but I didn't have to. I could have used somebody else. The message is more important than the messenger. And yet, he gives us a second chance. So whatever circumstance you're in, maybe I hit on it a minute ago. Maybe things aren't going well for you. Maybe the job, the family, the relationship, the marriage, the neighborhood, the I don't know. Maybe things aren't going so well. You don't have a dad to call today. You don't have a child who's going to call you. God is bigger than all that. And he calls you to himself with a second chance or a third chance or a hundredth chance. We, we can't miss before we dive into verse 2 that, that God called Jonah a second time. The message is greater than the messenger. Somebody gave me a, a shirt, one of those he is greater than I shirts, sort of cryptic, right? He, greater sign, I. And, and people ask, well, what's that about? That's an interesting looking shirt. What is that about? He is greater than I. And 
in all things, the, the, the message is always more important. The, the middle schoolers are going to send a message of hope. They're, they're doing some uh, uh, continued hurricane relief from where Hurricane Ida just devastated that part of Florida. Our high school students are going to build a house. They're going to work in a, a children's camp. They're going to, they're, tonight, they're going to work do a soccer camp. We call it soccer. They call it football. They're, they're going to do a soccer camp for, for the, uh, the, the, the people in the villages there and, and hopefully share the gospel. But if they didn't do it, somebody else would because God values that message. God wants His love. He wants His character. He wants His sovereignty to be known. He wants people to know that there is rescue in faith. But they said yes. And uh, the, the message will be taken through the messenger, and present company included. You can always find fault with the messenger. There, there's always things, in, and Jonah is certainly no exception. He, he did this, and he did this, and he didn't do this, and he said this, and, but he went. Check this out. So, a second time, arise, subject implied, it's Jonah. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, just a, a, a recap, great city. If you take I-285 around Atlanta, everything inside that space would be the approximate geographical area of Nineveh. 120,000 people. Wouldn't we love for only 120,000 people to be in that space? But 120,000 people was a big honking city for that time. And so there was over 100,000 people who lived in this area. As a matter of fact, the Scripture tells us it'd probably take him three days. Uh, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, three days to get across it. Now, that might have been the old Persian custom, three days, meaning the first day you see the city officials, the second day you do your business, the third day you wrap it up and get ready to leave. Or it could have meant three days of hard walking. It took him, we, we think he averaged about 25 miles a day to get from the Mediterranean coast to Nineveh. If it took him 25 miles a day to walk across the city, Let's lessen it just a little bit. Let's call it 15 miles a day since he had to stop to preach. That's still 45 miles across, about the same distance as the circle. So he had a message, and we don't find out what it is until the very last part of the verse. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's the eight-word message. But there's something I want you to see first. If you were to look at chapter 1, verse 3, the Scripture tells us God told Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, my translation. And then the very next sentence says, but Jonah went to Joppa. Arise, go to Nineveh. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. And I want to propose to you that when God tells us to do something, there's a huge difference between but and so. Huge difference. Uh, Alan, do, do this. I, I want you to do this. But this, but this, but this, but this. 
God, I want you to go to do something. So I did it. Huge difference between but and so. And too often we respond a little bit like the first. We think of all the excuses or all of the reasons, some of them logical, some of them quite apparent. These are all the reasons that I can't do what you've told me to do. Remember, God is a God of second chances. Remember, the message is greater than the messenger. Remember, God is going to do it whether you say yes or not, but there's a huge difference between but and so. But I don't want to. But I can't. But it's expensive. But it takes a long time. But the people hate me. But I hate them. So is hugely different in that it simply describes obedience. So Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, there's no reason for us not to believe that the first instructions he gave him back in chapter 1 weren't the word of the Lord. The Lord told him to do this, but all of a sudden now he's yielding to the word of the Lord. That's, that's a big deal. That's the difference between but and so. So Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, it just reminds us Nineveh is an extremely great, extremely great city. Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey. He called out, yet 40 days in Nineveh will be over. Back to my sanctified imagination. If Jonah was able to go by his house, get a change of clothes, pick up a little of the, the, the mojo. I mean, he lived in the palace in Samaria. And so he, he gets into his, his finery and he says, the Assyrians are really cruel people. They are known to be extremely cruel to their enemies to the point that they are just extremely cruel. I won't go into graphic detail. And so he figures he's got a better shot at this. Again, this is not Scripture. This is sanctified imagination. He, he gets his camels on, he gets his robes on, and he, he makes an entrance into Nineveh, figuring when the watchman on the wall sees him coming, they go, that's not an army, that's an emissary. Let's just see what he has to say. So he comes into the city, Likely, he meets with the city officials, the mayor, city council, police chief, tax guy. I don't know. Think about the people in all those pictures. When one of them talks, the rest of them line up behind to get the picture. So he meets with all those people, and, and, and he tells them what he's going to do. And they say, oh, what a nice man. That will be lovely. But then something happens. The Bible is talking about second chances. And Jonah is saying to these city officials, and then in just a minute he's going to say to all the rest of the people that God gave me a second chance. God will give you a second chance. And to those of us who are reading this thousand years later, he's saying God will give you a second chance. And the only way I can describe what happened next was, wait, what? Wait, what? Because it's pretty amazing. 
Repentance here is a work from God. We, we don't know when our message is going to meet ears that are ready for it. And there, there are some historians that think that maybe Nineveh was ready for a repentance because there had been plagues or there had been eclipses or there had been supernatural signs and they were all kind of buzzing about God and there was a, a general awareness that there was a lot of violence in the city between each other. Maybe they, they read the AJC and saw more murders and more guns and more this and more this and more this, and they're going, how long can this go on? Maybe. All we know is that Jonah's message met receptive ears. And here's what's happened. And the reason I, my sanctified imagination entertains all those city officials at first is because they're not the ones that embraced it immediately. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And if you're looking in your version of the Scripture, the word God there is not the word Lord, as in a lot of Scripture, Lord, L-O-R-D, in all caps with the L being larger than the rest of them. That is Yahweh, or the personal God that Jonah would cry out to. He, he cried out to a God he knows. This particular is Elohim, which is a different uh, way of saying it. It's a, it's a God above gods, a God of the Hebrews, a God, uh, capital G, when their gods had little g. They understood that this was a greater God than theirs had been, and so they wanted to know Him. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth, which was sort of a, a sign of mourning. It was taking off your, your regular clothing and putting on something that, like funeral clothes or, or, in their case, a very plain outer garment. And they all did that. <laughs> I love verse 6. You remember the picture where the city official guy's talking, all the rest of them are behind him? You know, whenever politicians get to the party, it's usually late. And so now they figure out, hey, there's a movement in the streets, and we better get some of that. There's something going on, and we better catch on. And so the people repented. They believed God. They called for a sackcloth and ashes. They, for the greatest to the least, then the word reached the king of Nineveh. Well, he'd already met with them, I think. I think that when he rolled into the city, he probably met with them. But now he's going, hey, 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 big movement going on. It's a little bit of a revolution, a repentance revolution. Better get on train. And so he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, sat in ashes. Then he issued a proclamation, published it through Nineveh, by decree of the king and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. So now, remember the eight-word sermon? Yet 40 days and God will, uh, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The word overthrown at the end of that verse, it could mean destroyed, it could mean overthrown, it could mean transformed. So Jonah's message that the Lord gave him was to say, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be different. Destroyed is probably the most accessible word there. Now, question for you in the studio audience. Did God allow for repentance in that message? 
Did, did God allow for the Ninevites to, to turn from their ways? The, the, the people embraced the message. The king embraced the message. You and I kind of know where he's coming from. We, we want to hear that message. Is there any hope in the message? I kind of think there is. Because if there's no hope in the message, why 40 days? Why not you've got 45 seconds to take care of your bucket list because nukes are coming? Where this place is about to be a sandbox, and so get it done. Why wouldn't God say, I'm going to destroy the city. I want to destroy the city. The city is destroyed. I don't know why Jonah would have been sent to give him a warning if there was no room for hope. Ah, but consistent with the greater message. Remember, you said it with me a little while ago. God is a God of second chances. So the king got it. And he said, don't let anybody get food or water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. I could just see the sheep when they're putting the sack over him going, what did I do? <laughs> just a sheep. Let everyone turn. And, and here's how we kind of understand that when there is sin, when, when you and I realize that we're doing some things, thinking some things, surfing some things, plotting some things, negotiating some things, compromising some things, that's called sin. And when, when sin is in our lives, we instinctively know it. We instinctively know that we're out of step, that we're out of sync. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, it's been going on for a while because the king was wise enough to say, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in your hands. You're violent towards others. You're violent towards each other. Let, let turn away from the evil that is within you. So Jonah's message was a message of turn, repent. Who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent. Maybe God will turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. I, I believe that there is room in there for repentance. I, I think that's what the story is about. But if we were to get to what the story is really about, the story is really about God. God has mentioned far more than Jonah, far more than the Ninevites, far more than the Phoenician sailors, far more than the fish. God is the main character of the story. And in God's character, we, we get it throughout. It's, it's, it's explained to us in the New Testament. It's, it's, it's shared with us in the New Testament that, that God loved us. God of second chances loved us so much that He gave His only Son that whoever, everyone, Ninevite, Jonah, sheep, I don't know, 
Whoever would embrace Jesus as Savior, whoever would become a follower of Christ, they would not perish but have everlasting life. The verse from 2 Peter that you read just a little while ago, God doesn't intend that anybody would perish, that anybody would die apart from God, but all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through repentance, through a second chance. Romans 5, but God demonstrates His love for us. While we are still sinners, while we are still evil and violence in our hands, God sent His Son. God demonstrated His love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God is a God of character, and that character is love. That character is justice. That character is integrity. That character is, is, is wisdom and discernment and understanding. God's character is seen throughout this story, and especially here. One of the main themes in the whole story is God's sovereignty. I had to practice saying this in the mirror, Alan, God is God and you are not. And it's kind of what it's about. Jonah never really got around to it. We'll see next week in chapter 4 that, that, that Jonah never really clicked on all the cylinders with that. God, you're God and I am not. Your plan is greater than my plan. I'm still working on but, but you want me to be so... God, you're God and I am not. God's sovereignty over everything is here. You, you kind of see it if you are a, a, want to go for another Scripture passage, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. God is, is giving Jeremiah the prophet the image of the potter with clay, and he says the potter can make anything he wants to out of that clay. He can destroy any nation that He wants to destroy. He can give prosperity to any nation He wants to give prosperity. Don't you get arrogant and think you deserve. Don't get arrogant and think you earn it. Don't think that God is sovereign and He is the potter and we are the clay and He can do what He wants to do. And if that involves saving the Ninevites, so be it. If that involves justice, so be it. If that involves wrath, so be it. If that involves mercy, so be it. Jonah is a book about God's mercy. A God who forgives. A Father who forgives. How appropriate on Father's Day. Unlike humans, God forgives sin. Even though He sees the potential for relapse, He knows we're going to do it again. He, he knows us. And yet he is the father. Tim Keller, he said, the, the, the best comparison of this story, of any story in the New Testament, is the parable of the prodigal son. You know it in Luke. Jesus said, what if there was a, a son who was arrogant and said, I don't want to listen to the father. I want to go make my own way. And he wanders off and he spends all his money and he gets in trouble and every single day that he's gone, the father looks down the road to see if he's coming home. And when the son finally comes home, there is no thought of resources squandered or time wasted. There is only the thought that the son has returned. We fathers get it. But sometimes we don't connect the dots and go, we've got a heavenly father who loves us that much. And the story is about Jonah who, who never, in, for as far as we know it, next week in chapter 4 you're going to go, wait, what? 
Because Jonah never really connected with the Father on that level that it is about the, the intimacy and the love and the vision and the, and the relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that's what I want you to hear this morning, that He is a God of second chances. He is the Father in the story of the prodigal son who looks for us to return every single day, even though we've done this, even though we've done that, even though we have been but people instead of so people. He looks for us to return to Himself. And the story of the prodigal son ends with the father putting a robe on his son's back saying, you get what you don't deserve, you, you, you don't get what you do deserve. We know that that's the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is that you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is that you don't get what you do deserve. And in all of that, we see that God has called us to Himself through His Son. Jonah was sacrificed for the sailors in the first chapter. Jesus was sacrificed for us. He calls Himself the second Jonah. Jesus was sacrificed for us so that our, our sins wouldn't be the last word, so that our, our first chance wouldn't be our last chance that this God of second chances who rescued the Phoenicians, who rescued Jonah, who rescued the Ninevites, who rescues us. God's character, God's sovereignty, God's love, that He calls us to Himself. Would you bow your head in prayer? I wonder if He's calling you to Himself. I wonder if this is the day when you realize you need a second chance. I wonder if this is the day, this Father's Day. Just a minute, our band is going to play. And... Robert, I'm going to ask you to kind of tone it in a little. I'm going to ask people if they want to come and pray. Just pray. You need a second chance. If you want to talk about that second chance, when you go out into the lobby, there are people in green shirts that will point you to pastors, and, and it will it'll be probably a better place to have a conversation out there than in here. But just as we kind of close the service down, I wonder if you might just want to pray. I wonder if you just might want to come to God as a Ninevite who says, I, I'll just lay it all out before you, God, perhaps. Well, the perhaps is certain. He is a God of second chances. So the altar will be open. Just pray if you like, and Robert will close the service in just a minute. At the end of the service, as you exit if you want to talk to somebody about it find somebody a green shirt they'll point you to a pastor there's a quiet room we can go to let's not leave here without taking advantage of our second chance father thank you for this day for every day where through the life and the death and the burial of your son you proclaim that we get a second chance God, let us take advantage of second chances 
And let us proclaim that even as Jonah wasn't sure about anything, but he somehow proclaimed what you told him to proclaim. And lo and behold, people understood. We, we never know what's going to happen when we're just faithful to tell. Give us the courage to do that. God, watch over us today and let us just raise a hallelujah to the fact that you are God of second chances. God, let the people pray. Let the people sing. Let the people rejoice that you are our God of second chances. In Jesus' name.